This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back in. It's another edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. We are with you for a second time here in the first week of April. Penn State in week four of spring practice. We covered some of the standouts from the first few weeks on episode one of this week, which dropped on Monday. We are recording here on a Thursday afternoon. In the past 48 hours, we've heard from Penn State head coach James Franklin, Penn State defensive line coach John Scott Jr., a few different Penn State players, including linebacker Brandon Smith. Um, just about a variety of topics. Uh, we've got a little more clarity with this team week by week, media session by media session, and looking forward to having a chance to watch this squad in person on April 17th in Beaver Stadium. Uh, we will be represented as a site. I know I'll be there. We're working out the logistics of everything else, but going to get eyeballs on these guys. Um, be nice to have some company in Beaver Stadium this time around as well. Um, and Sean, um, we're, what, nine days removed from seeing this team, fellow media members, and and actually some fans uh, there in University Park. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, I, I, hopefully everything falls into place and we can both be in the stadium at that point. I don't think I've been there since 2019, so that'd be pretty cool to, to check things out and just get the lay of the land and get back in the old press box, the old, old press box and, and make some things happen. But, you know, until the buffet is not back, Sean, the buffet is still on pause. Well, that might run into, uh, we, we, we might have to change some plans then. Um, but, uh, <laughs> no, it'll be, it'll be cool. I, I don't want to say too much because I don't know what our access is going to be like, what the actual gameplay is going to be like and all that stuff. But, uh, until then we've got some, we've gotten some good stuff from James Franklin, as you mentioned, from John Scott in the last, uh, 24 hours. And, you know, it's, it's been refreshing to get some, you know, some sort of name attached to some scouting reports, some things that we had reported confirmed, some things that, you know, we were kind of up in the air about, talked about. So it was, it's just good to talk a little bit, of, little bit of football. Another deep dive on Penn State recruiting coming your way here later in the episode. Uh, national recruiting analyst Brian Doan from 24-7 Sports returns for a lengthy conversation uh, with Sean Fitz, detailing some of the commitments, some of the targets, uh, the recruiting world really starting to wake up again. If you followed it, it, it never fully went to sleep during this period, but it's becoming more prevalent as guys are planning to get out and about in June. The camp circuit's starting to roll again. All good stuff, and, and Brian Doan serves up uh, the latest from the trail a little bit later here. But let's start with the defensive line, Sean, because this was our first opportunity on Wednesday evening after, after practice to hear from John Scott Jr. since last October. I think he was one game into his Penn State coaching career at that point. Um, and you hear from him this time around, seems like he's a lot more sure on a lot more of what's going on within his room at this stage. He's had a full year to work with some of these guys. He's got uh, a dozen or so uh, spring practices now under his belt with this group. Um, and there's plenty to get to in this room where you've got one returning starter, P.J. Mustafer at defensive tackle. Um, we talked about him being one of the spring camp standouts earlier this week. That coming from James Franklin. Uh, 
now hearing that from John Scott Jr. says Mustafer is acting and looking the part of that returning starter. He has bulked up one of the big gainers on this roster. And in Scott's word, he is ready to go out and play big boy football in the Big Ten trenches as a uh, fourth-year junior. P.J. Mustafer going to be such a key part of this defensive line. I mean, you talk about bulking up, which, you know, when you when you take a look at his frame and you took a look at him as a prospect, you didn't see him as a, as a hold-em-up guy inside or anything like that. But, you know, he can potentially slide down, play a little bit on the nose. I think a lot of that is going to depend who he is playing beside. I think he's very versatile in the sense that he can slide down and, and you know, be on the outside shoulder of the center where a guy like Hakeem Beeman can maybe shake some things out uh, as a three technique or something like that. And he's also versatile enough to, to be that three technique where Derek Tangelo is a guy that can play that one. So it, it gives you a little bit of versatility in there. I think he's a, a talented guy. And I think the expectations – are, you know, a little bit loftier this year. And that's going to be something that he's going to have to deal with and he's going to have to play up to. Um, you, you talk about the, the veterans that were in place last year. Of course, Shelton right beside him and the, the defensive ends that have played a lot of football out there as well. Well, Mustafer's kind of in that situation now. He's kind of the guy that you look to um, as a guy that, you know, should be a solid contributor, a guy that you shouldn't have to worry about. And and that's going to be something that, you know, you won't see on, to, on the field until September. But at the same time, he's got to assume that role. He's got to be that guy. He's got to be the guy where not, not just the light come on for him, but he's got to be the guy that puts the guys around him in the right spot. And I think he, I think he's capable of that. Again, I, I think he's an all big 10 type potential guy, uh, you know, it flashed a little bit of that last year, but didn't quite have the consistency. If he gets that consistency together, I think he can be a very, very solid piece of this defense. And could really ramp up his draft stock moving forward with his career. And uh, 34 career college football games now for P.J. Mustafer, who arrived in 2018 as a top 100 overall prospect, one of the top 10 defensive tackles in the country per 24-7 sports. Uh, 35 tackles in nine games last year, one sack. Uh, that's a part of his game, Sean. Uh, at 326 pounds, six foot four, right now, is going to 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 try to be the guy who frees up some space. And uh, I don't think it's taken off in the way I thought it might, as far as Mustafer being a guy who's really going to to disrupt the pocket. Um, in your opinion, is that something that he takes another step with, or are we more looking around the parts that that he's gathering with in the defensive front and, and kind of creating lanes for them to the passer? I think he can do it, but I don't. I don't know that the the most value that you get out of these defensive tackles is a, is a guy that can rush the passer. You know, there's there's been guys that have been able to do that in the last decade or so at Penn State. But if he can hold them up and and make some things happen for the ends, I think that's fine. Again, one of those big things that I had criticism about, not just with last year, but the year before with Robert Windsor, so many lanes right up the middle, just just going, just, there was nobody there. And that's about playing your role. That's about playing where you're supposed to play and, and not getting upfield, not being the guy that thinks he can you know, have six and a half sacks in a year or something like that. So I don't know. I, I think he can do it. I don't know that that's the best use of Penn State's defensive tackles, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know that he's overwhelming enough to be a guy that can dominate a game from the inside, but I think he can be a guy that is part of a defensive line, a defensive unit that can dominate a, a, a football game there. From the Nittany Lions' lone returning starter on the defensive line to two recent additions via the transfer portal, uh, Arnold Abikade from Temple, Derek Tangelo from Duke, 
Uh, you heard Derek on this show not too long ago um, when he made his decision. Uh, we, we've heard a lot about Arnold from, from different members of this coaching staff, different players, about him coming in and blending in um, and really showing off some, some athleticism that, that maybe supersedes a little bit of, of what people anticipated. And uh, right now you hear from John Scott, there's a lot of excitement, uh, you know, legitimate buzz about this edition of Ebikade. I don't want to shortchange Tangelo, who he says uh, has impressed with footwork, brought in a veteran presence after playing a ton of football in the ACC with Duke. But I think right now you look at all the transfers they brought in, there just seems to be a little bit of a, a different tone of the voices when Arnold Ebikade, the guy they call AK, comes up in conversation. Yeah, I think we covered this in the first episode this week, so check that out. But yeah, he's a guy that they're excited about. Once well, They want him to be a little bit bigger, which is not a surprise. He came in in the 230s, and it's been about building him up ever since. Um, so you want to get him big, and you want to get him to sustain that weight, which has been an issue um, for him for Adisa Isaac on the other side. So you want to keep those guys uh, sort of at, at that playing weight and not, and not lose, uh, lose weight over the duration of the season. Uh, the interesting one to me here is Tangelo. I don't think he presents an ultra-high ceiling, uh, but I think he can be solid and and sort of steady. And really, again, when you're looking at defensive tackle, I think that's what you need in there. Um, So he's played a lot of football. Um, I don't think he's going to blow anybody away. I don't know that he's going to be an all Big Ten guy, but I think he could be a key cog. Uh, it's interesting to me, you know, when he came in, we kind of penciled him in there as the starter beside PJ Mustafer, but I'm not sure that that's really set in stone at this point. Uh, it's it's going to be something that you're going to see a rotation early. You're going to see guys that you know are in and out of the game trying to find the best combinations, the best fits, and things like that. Um, John Scott Jr. seemed uh, pretty excited about Hakeem Beeman. Um, I think that's going to be a completely different role than what they asked Tangelo to do. Um, but again, that's that's variety. That's a good thing to have there. Beeman down to 6'3", 269 on the roster right now, where, as we said, Mustafer bulked up in that room. Uh, Beeman was a, a weight loser over the course of this offseason. And John Scott, uh, the, the quote from him was that Beeman possesses end-like qualities. You have referenced a few times uh, him playing defensive end, getting a little bit bigger for Penn State on the defensive front against a program like Wisconsin in the opener and the way they like to ta- attack you offensively, play that bully ball style with the run game. Um, Sean, Beeman's versatility is big here. You're looking at him competing for that defensive tackle spot. And considering the, the lack of depth and the lack of, uh, the lack of experience in that defensive end room, you know that's not the only place you could see him cracking the first team lineup with the strong work in the next five months. Absolutely. I mean, this is not, I don't think you want to pigeon yourself, uh, pigeonhole yourself into having just straight uh, D tackles, straight D ends. Uh, a guy like uh, Amin Vanover could be a guy that plays that role. Uh, Kaziah Izzard as well could play that role. So you've got an opportunity to sort of diversify yourself up front, play a little bit of a different look. Um, I just I just keep going back to Kevin Givens when I think about Beeman, and I'm not sure that he's the, the twitchy guy that Givens was, but he was so active in so many ways. Uh, you know, you could put him, you could put him on the nose, and he would, you know, find his way into the backfield and play the regular three technique, shift him out to five tech. I think they did that against Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game, if I'm, if I recall correctly. So, uh, just you, you get more versatile. You get a chance to get, uh, you know, your best four. And I know it's kind of easier to say that on the on the other side of the ball, getting your best five on the offensive line, but getting your best four out there. And if it takes 
three defensive tackles. You, you know they're thin at defensive end. I mean, you talk we talk about AK, you talk about Adisa, uh, Tarburton, of course, is going to be a question, even though John Scott seemed pretty high on what he's been able to do. And Smith Vilbert kind of uh, was, was positive about him too. But until that happens, you don't have that experience. You don't have that sort of uh, wherewithal to, to figure out who those best four are going to be. So I, I think if any way that you can get Beeman out there is going to help you because I think he can uh, really – be one of those best best guys out there. I think he can be one of those guys that has an impact on the game in in several different ways. Smith Vilbert was a name that, that this week in conversations with John Scott Jr. and with offensive tackle Rashid Walker, who obviously has a very close look at this defensive end group on the practice field. Um, Vilbert's a guy who comes up as trending in a very good direction. I think that's very good news for the Nittany Lions considering what's going on at defensive end. I don't want to like bypass the subject of Adisa Isaac, who we, we know is a special talent, extremely athletically gifted, and has progressed a lot physically in his two years on campus. But he was not asked about during John Scott's uh, press conference, and uh, Scott really stuck to the topics that reporters brought up. And we covered a lot of ground there. Adiza Isaac was not referenced, expecting him to have a huge role at defensive end, step up uh, in, into that starting lineup, perhaps. And, and that's really the projection there. But Vilbert is a guy showing at six foot six, around two hundred and sixty pounds right now, um, out of St. Joe's Regional in New Jersey, has come in and, and according to Scott, really figured out. Uh, how to fit himself in the right spots on the practice field, the, the awareness around him, making some plays there. Um, and, and, and right now, uh, I think that that's great news because Nick Tarburton, the optimism is there. That's great, but he's been on campus for a while now and the, and the injuries have piled up, so it's hard to trust that. A guy like Vilbert, to me, that could swing the pendulum a bit, whether or not he is ready to play high-quality Big Ten football. It could really, to me, determine the potential for what a rotation that that could be built by John Scott. Yeah. How do I say this? I I, I get the positivity, the positivity there. I I don't want to jump all in on that, on that right now, because at the end of the season last year, Vilbert looked a little bit out of place. He looked like a guy that, you know, the game was moving too fast for John Scott says to his credit, he's, he's pushed through that and he's been a little bit more mature at the position now. Um, looks have never been an issue for Smith Vilbert. Kid looks beautiful. He look, you know, he looks like an NFL uh, player. But it's about uh, making sure that that he can play at this level. That the game is not too fast for him. So, uh, you know, as much as I would love to jump in, and that's that's the funny thing about this time of year is you ask a coach about a player. Oh, he's great. Everybody's great. It's uh, the off season. It's fantastic. Um, this this time of year, it's it's really easy to be overly optimistic. But at the same time. I have questions about Vilbert. I have questions about Tarburton's durability. I have questions when you get past those two. What is Zariah Fisher going to be ready for uh, primetime play this year? Which I don't, I don't know that that's going to be an issue or not. So we keep going back to Hakeem Beeman. We keep going back to these scenarios where, you know, you get the familiar guys out there, the experienced guys out there. So as much as I like Smith Vilbert and what he can be, not ready to jump all in on that one just yet. And Tarburton, I hate to say it because he's, you know, he's worked through a lot and that's to his credit. But until you see him do that, not just once, but when you string a couple of games together, stay healthy for a couple of games, then you are apt to believe that's going to be so. So I think there's still a big worry at defensive end in terms of what's out there, in terms of the depth that's out there. Um, but, you know, it's it's good to hear that they seem to be moving in the right direction. I, w- I did chuckle because you mentioned he, he was not asked about Adisa Isaac. He did not mention Adisa Isaac. And I'm reading through the transcript right here. And he did a great job of answering the questions we asked him, but there wasn't a lot of freestyling in there. 
No, and, and we appreciated the insight on the guys we did ask about, and, and there was a lot of them, and kind of worked our way down the depth chart, you know, by, again, bypassing a guy like Isaac, but getting a little bit of new in, intel on uh, Smith Vilbert's a good a good uh, a sample of that, but additionally, a guy like Zariah Fisher, transitioning from linebacker in year number two on campus, um, someone who uh, came to campus with the weight lost and has since added that, and, and according to John Scott, he has all the physical traits all the physical tools to excel at defensive end for Penn State. Now he is in that learning phase, and that's the question. How how much can you accelerate that to the point where he's comfortable playing, you're comfortable sending him out there against a, a, a team like Ohio State where he's impacting things off the edge? Uh, uh, with Fisher, Sean, um, he's someone that, going back to his recruitment, when he committed to this program, you said defensive end is going to be where this kid plays. Last year, they tried out linebacker. Wanted to see if that would work. That was what he played at high school. Uh, ultimately, now he, he's back in that defensive end room. So I don't know um, if, if that changes the timeline there. It certainly could in terms of Fisher. Is he contributing in 2021 at defensive end in a big way if, if he was on the practice field there last year? Maybe. Um, just the fact that he wasn't on the practice field there last year, and this is his kind of first go-round in spring ball, push the, the, the estimated timeline for him into 2022. That could be the case as well. Again, we're, we're taking the coach's word for it here. And the, the sense I was getting from Scott on the subject was, man, this kid has the arsenal. He has the tool belt, but he's got a lot of learning to do uh, if we're going to be able to play him a lot. Yeah, I think that the skills are still raw. I mean, when you switch from linebacker to defensive end and, you know, it's seemingly if you're an attacking linebacker, not a ton different, but there's there's so many things that you have to pick up along the way. I think Fisher can be that guy. I think he's a really talented football player that you could drop in at a couple of different positions and he would be okay. Um, he's got those long arms. He's got so many things that the defensive quality defensive ends, um, you know, and coaches covet at that position. So I think he'll be okay. I wouldn't set the expectation for him to make a huge impact this year. Um, you know, in 2022, that's probably a different story, but uh, he's got a lot of learning to do. Scott acknowledged that, but uh, the, the pieces are there and it's you know, you're probably better off with a guy, uh, we'll call him a redshirt freshman for the sake that he really didn't play much last year, even though he is still a true freshman eligibility wise. You probably are better off with a guy like Zariah Fisher than, you know, bringing, than, than leaning on one of your true freshmen to come in and make an impact right away. There are a lot of names at defensive tackle. It's something we've discussed in the past. And you know, there's a lot of guys you could point to as saying, is this the year he steps up? And Fatorma Molba in, in, in his second year against, again, a freshman, uh, was someone that, that certainly seemed to be, you know, creating a bit of a stir on the practice field this spring. Not saying he's going to get, uh, 75% of the snaps in this defense, but he's somebody who has positioned himself to enter the summer as, as a player on the rise in the mind of this coaching staff. And you've got guys like Kaziah Izzard, uh, Cole Brevard. Uh, Molba, though, Sean, I go back to his recruitment process and how things really blew up for him during the second half of his junior season, culminating with that commitment to Penn State after he got to camp. The athleticism, just tremendous. Uh, I think the one thing that John Scott said about three times was the footwork, the, the ability for this kid to, to, to move agilely at his size. And, and I'm checking the roster now for how big Molba is at this point. Uh, he's six foot three, 300 pounds. But again, you, you watch his film from high school, you look at some of those testing numbers, and what you continue to glean from Molba is this is a kid who got into football very late. 
uh, has that athleticism and at 300 pounds, it doesn't look sloppy at all. So you think can continue to add that strength, continue to blend that with, with the with the foundational tools that are in place, and he could start flashing. I'm still a big Mulba fan. If you recall during his recruitment, I was a big, uh, big fan of what he brought to the table, and I think that a lot of that's still there. Uh, he was probably about 280, 285 at that point. So to see him at 300 uh, with, with still potential to grow, that's one thing. The the physical strength has always been a, a big plus for him. And he, he's agile for that size. So I, I think probably the best part here is you don't have to play him. You, you This is a guy that's still raw. Uh, I think Cole Brevard beside him also, even though he's more productive as a high school player, also came in as a raw college defensive lineman. There's a big difference between putting up big stats um, at the high school level and being ready to play uh, at any level on the college level so or any level of the defense on the at the college level so um but yeah i really like uh what mobile brings to the table and you don't have to play him right now you've got guys that are in front of him well i think we mentioned three defensive tackles fred hansard's a, a is a veteran there. Devon Ellis is another guy that they're going to look to to try and plug some gaps as well. Um, so you don't have to throw Mulba out right now, but to, to, to hear that he's on track um, and, and considering where he came from, I, I think that's a great sign for the future. I think he's going to be a, a productive guy in, in, in a couple of years. I still don't think he's, uh, I don't, still don't think you should set the expectations for 2021, but I think he can be a guy that really helps you out over the next couple of years. Threw a lot of names your way during this defensive line conversation. We could have added four or five more names of guys who could be in that mix as well, Sean. There's just there's a lot of scholarships invested on the defensive front, uh, particularly on the interior, and you're just wondering how will these guys will be utilized? Who's gonna be who's gonna be the breakout players, and who's gonna get exposed? Quite frankly, and maybe show that they they don't have the the the, the skill set attitude, what have you, to excel at this level. Something's got to shake out with these numbers at the end of the day, going from 21 to 22, and a lot to learn along the way. Um, at linebacker, Sean, um, this is a spot where we, we've we've gained a little bit of confirmation, I would call it, this week with, with Curtis Jacobs, according to James Franklin. Uh, as of now, penciled in as that starting Sam linebacker. If they played on Saturday, James Franklin says Jacobs is the guy to roll out with the first team defense. He was a freshman last year, played in a rotational role, saw action on special teams. By the time we got into December, he was certainly someone that Brent Pry wanted to see more of on defense. So who does Curtis Jacobs replace in the starting lineup? Remember, Penn State did not lose uh, a scholarship player to graduation, um, a scholarship player to the draft. So a lot of these veterans back on campus. You're looking at Brandon Smith making a move over to the Will linebacker. He was the starter at Sam last year with Curtis Jacobs backing him up. And now you're seeing two veterans jockeying for position, Sean, trying to stay in the starting lineup at middle linebacker in that mic spot. It's Jesse Lucetta. It's Ellis Brooks. Both left uh, certainly a lot to be desired last year along the way. Brent Pry was critical of, of, of their performances. Um Look, Sean, you've got the two former five stars making their move here on the outside. We'll see what happens in the middle. That's something we'll keep keep tracking in preseason camp. But for Franklin to say that both Smith and Jacobs um, are at or exceeding the expectations they had coming to campus, uh, that's big-time stuff. That's great news. And he brought up the linebacker you reference when, when talking about Jacobs and Smith. And it sounds like they've done a nice job of helping each other out, creating opportunities for them to flex their most impressive skill sets in these particular roles. Well, before we get into praising them, just a little lightning round for us. 
Where is what do you think Brandon Smith's best position is in this defense? I'd say where I mean where he is right now is it would seemingly be an excellent spot, but I haven't seen him play a game there. How about Curtis Jacobs? Just based on skill set and what you know about him. Again, I think given the the history of defensive back and 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 what I think he can do in pass coverage, I would say he's in the right spot too. Okay, to me that's that's it. That that you forget all the the they're ahead of where they want him to be and all that kind of stuff. You got Brandon Smith in the box where I think he's absolutely – he can have a bigger impact on the game. You got Curtis Jacobs who is the high school safety that you know is in that mold of what you wanted for that position when you wanted Jacobs, when you wanted Lance Dixon, when you wanted a guy that could be that hybrid player. Okay, you can get him out there. Then you can get him some more reps and if he, you know, if he earns his way into being one of those guys in the two linebacker sets, that – you know, seems to work out for everybody. Then you've got Ellis Brooks and Jesse Lucchetta, who showed their shortcomings last year in terms of being side to side, in terms of being fast guys, in terms of being able to keep up with everything. You plug them in the middle, I think they can be productive there. I don't think that they're going to, you know, just uh, be uh, uh, lights out or anything like that as, as middle linebackers, but you can hide middle linebackers to an extent. And they're not on the field at the same time, which when they were on the field at the same time last year, let's be honest, just did not work. So I think just from a basic standpoint, you've got Smith at the will. I think that's his best spot. You got those two guys in the middle, which, you know, you can sort of hide some of that stuff in the middle. And then you've got Jacobs in the, in the field. I mean, to me, that's just the basic stuff that you're looking for, right? I mean, that's that's really what you're using the spring to figure out where, where these guys work. And, and we kind of – we didn't scream about it all last year, but we brought it up several times that you need to put these guys in the positions that their skill set is, is best suited for. And finally, I think we've gotten there. Yeah, and I think Brandon Smith, speaking with him this week, feeling extremely comfortable uh, being able to play in the box, being able to, to – Place more emphasis on covering the run um, and and doing what his he does best with that six foot three two hundred and forty pound frame, which is you know kind of uh, attack the ball, destroy the ball, and and, and I think his accelerated efforts. Um, I mean, his acceleration last year, I felt like from game one to game nine was one of the more noticeable individual progressions from the 2020 seasons. It felt like he had his whereabouts a lot. He's done a lot of cross training. Um, and you know, we'll see. I, I think the other part of the conversation is what else is happening over at, at the Sam spot right now. Um, because you know, that's that's part of the process. It, a little surprised to hear uh, Franklin go to this point where he's going to publicly, publicly put it out there that Curtis Jacobs would be their starter right now, but he added the caveat that's today. That is April 7th, uh, not September 1st. So, Sean, I, I think that's part of this conversation as well is uh, Lance Dixon has gone from the equation, as you've referenced. He's at West Virginia. Um, Charlie Catcher has struggled to stay healthy. Um, if Curtis Jacobs, for whatever reason, can't go, to me, you're probably backsliding into Brandon Smith returning to that role and then seeing Lucetta and, and, and Brooks on the field at the same time. I know that's not what you want. I know that's not what anybody wants to see happen uh, in terms of Curtis Jacobs not being available. But this is placing a lot of value suddenly on Curtis Jacobs and in, in his role as a key cog and what they may want to do with this linebacker unit. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, that's a depth conversation right there is is talking about who's going to slide in there because I mean you say Curtis Jacobs is the projected starter right now and we projected him you know back in the winter and into the spring that this would be where he would be standing but he's they've also got five healthy scholarship linebackers so his backup probably right now is what Robbie Dwyer or something like that one of the walk on uh, defensive uh, one of the walk on defensive players so I don't really see that 
number one, it's not a surprise that he's the projected starter as of now. Number two, that's a whole nother issue when you're talking about sliding guys around. Now, it'd be nice to get Lucetta back. It will nice be nice to get Charlie Catcher back. It would be really nice to see Charlie Catcher healthy for once in his career. I still think pretty good player in there. He just, like uh, like we talked about with Tarbert, and you want to see him string a couple games together and actually be healthy for that. So um, that's that's another conversation in itself. Uh, does Kobe King factor in? Does Tyler Elsden factor in? Because right now, five scholarship linebackers means you've got a two deep at, at, at two positions, and then you've got Curtis Jacobs on an island by himself. Um, do, do safeties come into play there? Talking about playing uh, a Sam versus a star, all that kind of stuff. So to me, that's a depth conversation. That's something more apt for August, September, October. Um, but yeah, it's it's scary thin back there right now. And I think that's the thing that you take away from it. You, you want all these guys healthy, obviously. Uh, but at the same time, you want your best guys to uh, to sort of formulate your best three. It feels like you've got the guys in the right role here. Uh, and Brent Pry, year number eight with the program, uh, has overseen this linebacker group, personally recruiting them to campus, was not where it needed to be last year. You have to throw in the fact that he was dealt a major curveball and having Micah Parsons uh, walk away from the program because of the circumstances so close to the season. But here in 2021, Sean, uh, I mean, it just feels like this is a huge year for Brent Pry to get things right and 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 have that attack calibrated at linebacker w- with the talent that they have. I know that that you said right now the numbers are tricky, but you get these guys in the right spots. You know, you, you look at what the coach and what he's doing over the course of, of this year. Um, I, I just feel like this is a huge year for Brent Pry. I agree. I agree. And, and how he handles that situation will be um, certainly it, it will say a lot about the rest of his defense and how that, that we saw it the last uh, last year when that second level is not performing. It's, there's ripple effects both ways. And that's really, you know, you, you can talk about the defensive uh, line trying to hold them up for the linebacks. But if that if that group is not playing at a high level, it's it's going to have uh, repercussions all over the field. So I do think it's a big uh, a, a big year for Brent Pry. I'd like to see a little bit more uh, competition in there. We know they went after Mike Jones from Clemson in the portal. Uh, not a ton out there in terms of what uh, what's available in the portal right now. But uh, be interesting to see. Uh, does Jair Brown factor in there? Does uh, does Jonathan Sutherland become more of a linebacker. And we've talked about him playing against the run and struggling against the pass. Well, you know, that might be a spot that fits him well. I just think back, uh, Stephen Obing Ajapong was a guy that played safety and then eventually had to switch to that field linebacker. I think that was under O'Brien. Um, but it, it, it's one of those things where you've got to sort of try some different things until it makes itself work. Because I think your front line, I think your your first three starters or at least two of those starters can be really, really good players. And the third guy can sort of bridge that gap and, and be a solid guy inside. Um, when one of those guys gets down, yeah, that's that's going to be some tough sledding right there. So they've got to sort of uh, stay healthy. That's easier said than done, as we've seen, especially at the linebacker position. Um, but it's uh, it's a dicey situation. You're right. It will it will reflect on Brent Pry. They haven't overloaded at numbers at linebacker over the last couple of years. And of course, they've had some guys leave. They've had some, you know, Michael Parsons. They didn't get three years out of him. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's tougher than it looks. And uh, even though you've got some really good talent in there, it, it might not all add up. And as a result, maybe Kobe King is more of a factor than we initially expected 
on this 2021 Nittany Lions roster, Sean. I know you had him projected as a second teamer, um, I, I, I believe, uh, behind Brandon Smith uh, entering the spring when you put up your your depth chart and, and what you saw playing out there. And um, I think over the course of this last month, we have certainly heard a lot more good things about Kobe King and his maturity level. And, you know, we, we heard these things on signing day. I think Terry Smith called him a future line, uh, a future captain uh, for Penn State kind of has that mental makeup to him coming from a program at Cast Tech. Seems like that time with Cast Tech, with a powerhouse like that, and the standards they hold themselves to have contributed nicely to the transition for both Kobe and Kalen. But I know Kalen is, is a guy you've been very high on, uh, but Kobe is someone who has really grown on you during our conversations, I want to say, in, in the past 15 months or so. Yeah, that's been my sort of go-to line when I go with Kobe is a guy that I really was kind of lukewarm on at the beginning. And, you know, he played his junior year. He had some injuries and he really didn't let that on. So you didn't really know about it. And then he came out as a senior and he was fantastic. He moved a lot better than I thought he would. Um, just it was kind of everywhere in that, uh, that King cast tech game that was, uh, you know, one of the best games in the, you know, in the city. So I'm cautiously optimistic. It's such a big jump though. You you take a look at the the guys that have played linebacker at Penn State as true freshmen. And even last year, we you know how much I love Curtis Jacobs and you know he was a five-star prospect and everything like that. When he got in there, he looked small. He looked like a guy that, you know, was running around with uh, with some older kids out there. Um, the year before that, Brandon Smith was kind of the same way. So it's uh, it, it's a big jump to make. Now, Kobe's very mature. He's uh, physically ahead of probably where some of those other guys that, that I just mentioned were. Uh, but at the same time, it's that's a tough leap to make. And and Tyler Elsden may have been in a similar situation last year physically. I think you know he had some some more guys ahead of him. But uh, yeah, that's uh, we didn't see him on the field at all. So I think that that says something. It's just funny to me, maybe more so at linebacker than any other position. When these guys go out there on the field as true freshmen, they look smaller. They look like they're you know. Just there, there, there's quite a gap between the starters at linebacker in the Big Ten and the, the true freshmen, even they're very good true freshmen that come in and play. So um, it will probably take a while for him to adjust and, and get in there. Does he make an impact on special teams this year? I, I you know, kind of up in the air because I don't know, you know, if he's a guy that can cover kicks and can run really well or anything like that. So I think there's there's plenty of questions there, but to to hear as much good things as we've heard about Kalen, or excuse me. Kobe King and also Kalen King. But as we've heard about Kobe King, I think it says something about how much he prepared uh, to take on a role right away. And I think that says something about him as a player. And it says something about his, you know, when you're trying to project him a couple of years down the line, it's a little harder to write him off in this situation. Accountability, maturity, those are usually words we see applied to, to guys Kabinda, that are. Kabinda, yeah. yeah. That's another Kabinda, word that's <laughs> Yeah, th- those are the words being applied to Kobe King right now. And um, just the guy who seems to be, you know, wise beyond his years in college football uh, and timeline talk. And um, another guy who was kind of fitting that mold, and no surprise here, based on the early feedback, is Landon Tengwall in that offensive line room. Speaking with Rashid Walker this week, um, he is he said he thinks Landon has an excellent opportunity to start next year. Um, I think Rashid Walker's mind, they're going to need at least one tackle next year uh, to fill to fill a first-team role. Um, but he says he wouldn't be surprised if he if he ends up in the two-deep 
Um, not the first guy who said that, but Rashid Walker said one thing he can note, and this includes Kalen and Kobe King. He said no one came to campus more prepared than Landon Tangwall. He said from a technique standpoint, you can tell that there's been some personal training involved. Landon told us here on the podcast that last season, while his his football career was on pause because of the pandemic, he was investing all that time and energy into to himself, into individual training. That has paid off physically. He's where he needs to be. Um, and, and according to Rashid Walker, um, you know, check off that box, check off this box, check off the next one. This is what you wanted to get in your top ranked signee for a, a small 2021 class. I mean, he's been preparing for this for years. I mean, not just last year when his season was canceled. This is a kid that has been focused, just laser focused on being a college football player uh, for the last couple of years. He's, he's had the training. He's had a lot of advantages that not all prospects get, but he's taken full advantage and he's worked as, he's worked hard. I mean, you, you can talk about, uh, you know, everything that, that is going for him outside of that, but he's worked himself into a, a really good prospect as well. So I would not be shocked to see him play this year. Um, I, I don't know that he's going to get a ton of time, but he could be a guy maybe right on the edge of that four game, um, that four game red shirt uh, rule that's going to come back into play this year. So I, I mean, the, the, the future is definitely bright for him. It's a matter of, of how high that ceiling can get eventually. But I do think he's going to be a guy that starts a lot of games at Penn state. Uh, tackles where we're hearing about him now. We know he can play guard. We know he's open conversations with Phil Troutwine about that versatility. Um, uh, but yeah, early returns on the King Twins and Tengwall um, ha- have been very positive when you're looking for signs at who stands out among the freshman group thus far on campus. Uh, Sean, we're going to cap. I, I will say this: yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if he was a, a center in the at the pro game. I, I think he can play. Any one of those positions, I would not be shocked if he was a center at the next level. Now, that's a long way away, and that's a lot of projection, um, but that's the type of, of offensive lineman, you know, just in terms of, of knowing the position, in terms of knowing uh, what is expected of you at every position and being a, a leader, a guy that can communicate – uh, really brings it all to the table. And I'm, I'm excited to see his growth. Uh, I don't know that his ceiling is completely, you know, like first round pick sky high, but I think he's a guy that can be a really solid player for a long time. I've, I've compared him to Barrett Jones in the past. And if they can get anything close to what Alabama got out of Barrett Jones with Landon Tengwall, yeah, that's a win for everybody. You'll absolutely take that. Phil Troutwine's big mantra that we hear from him all the time is, is finding the best five guys for your offensive front and not pigeonholing players into positions. Certainly the addition of Landon Tengwall adds to that mantra and, and, and kind of helps out with that process. Um, the five-star mailbag, Sean, brings us a fresh question. By the way, we're needy for some. It's time. Bring us your spring practice questions. Uh, drop them on Apple Podcasts. We'll check it out with our five-star uh, five-star mailbag. And uh, the one today we have, which position for Penn State will feature the most contributors in 2021. So we're looking not just at the starters here, not necessarily just at the two deep here, but a little bit further down where you're plucking guys from depth and not because players are injured, but because you want to spread the wealth talent wise. And for me, my mind shifts to cornerback, finding the way to have three of those guys on the field with frequency. Still curious to see if, if that room has anyone to lend to the safeties unit between now and September. But really, I just think we're going to see a, a, a group that is just too talented across the board and down the depth chart to leave so many of these guys on the sidelines. Uh, if, if you're looking for uh, a combination of 11 players that are going to get the job done defensively, something tells me that Brent Pry. Terry Smith are going to find ways to work in uh, three 
who knows, maybe even four cornerbacks on any given time. Yeah, I think that's a good pick. I just uh, look over, looking over the roster. There's obviously, you know, you, you've got positions like tight end where you expect two of the three guys to, to to contribute right now. So that's a pretty good percentage of that. But I look at running back, and and you know, we've we've talked about Noah Kane and his injury. They expect him back for preseason. Um, but is is he going to be the guy that has to carry a load over a twelve game season? I don't necessarily think so. You've got John Lovett that, that you're coming in to do that. And as I tweeted out last night, I watched the uh, the BTN in sixty Penn State Michigan. I uh, forgot, you know, you just forget things, little things like Kevon Lee, just you know, just kind of moving forward the entire time. Um, so they've got guys that I think can produce in there. We saw last year, unfortunately, we saw last year uh, that injuries can can play a big role in the in the production of that unit. But I still think we see, uh, you know, maybe four running backs, and that's not. Uh, I don't know that that's the best case scenario or how you split those carries up. But four or five running backs is uh, you've got, you got talent on that roster and I think you can use them. You got five running backs with power of five experience. You've got six cornerbacks now with extensive experience. Uh, you know, don't forget Daquan Hardy really saw his his role rise last year um, in that star position. Um, yeah, I think both those spots serve us well for this for this uh, question. And, and again, throw yours our way with our five star mailbag. Drop your five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Feature your question there. We will do our best to get to it. Um, we're going to get to Brian Doan now, Sean, uh, which is uh, I know someone our listeners always look forward to hearing from on the podcast. So I will let you take it over from here. Bring on Brian and break down the latest in Penn State recruiting. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Switching gears now on the Lions 24-7 podcast, we bring back one of our recurring guests, one of our favorite guests, actually our favorite guest. We've talked about this before, 24-7 <laughs> Sports, Brian Doan. Doan, thanks for coming back on with us. Hey, I appreciate it. Um, after seeing all the positivity of the board, I just wanted to jump on and talk Penn State. You just can't get enough, can you? <laughs> hey, listen, it's a glorious day here in New Jersey. Um, going to be a great weekend. Going to go out and see some camps and 7-on-7 seven seven stuff. So. Things will be looking up. Just sit tight, Penn State fans. Sit tight. It's, Everything it's, will be fine. It's such a breath of fresh air. You say you're going out and checking out uh, seven on sevens camps like this. We didn't have that for a whole year. Kind of probably took it for granted before that, but you're getting a chance to get out there. You you went out and saw some football in Philly a couple of weeks ago, so it's just nice to get out and get some some spring football into our veins, and, and it's really one of those things where, you know, not a ton is happening on the recruiting trail, so it's nice to sort of fill in those gaps with not only camps, but also live football. No, it's great, especially from the standpoint of you haven't really had a chance to eval these kids a lot in the last year, year and a half. The kids, you know, on a whole are great to deal with. So 
you kind of want to, I mean, you know this, you, you kind of want to pay them back and go out and watch them play because, well, it shouldn't be a big deal for me to go watch a kid play or work out or whatever. The kids appreciate it and they always comment about it. It's good just to see um, a lot of smiling faces and just how hard these kids are working. So, uh, yeah, it was easy to, I don't want to say take for granted, but it was easy to be like uh, another camp coming up this weekend. Um, to now it's like, man, I cannot wait to get to some of these camps. We've got, we're, we're kind of in a spot right now where it's kind of recruiting purgatory. There's not much happening from a results standpoint, the, not a lot of commitments right now. Guys are just kind of, you know, holding up and sitting tight, waiting for those visits to come around in June, if they do indeed uh, have that opportunity to do that in June. So I guess, can you, can you talk about what, is going on right now. I know it just doesn't seem like there's a ton happening, but it seem it, it it would seem on another level that you're just kind of waiting for something big to pop in a couple of months. Yeah, I, I think um, it's really easy to sit there and say there's not a lot happening in recruiting. Um, you know this; that is never the case. There's always stuff going on in recruiting. Now, whether you're interested about the 2024s that Penn State are offering is is another matter, but there's always stuff going on. But you know, it's an interesting time because, listen, if you look at where Penn State recruits, you know, the 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 Mathas and the Gonzagas and the St. John's are playing. There's some games in Southern Maryland that are being played. Virginia's playing. North Carolina's playing. Um, Philadelphia, where Penn State is trying to make a huge push uh, and kind of reestablish itself there. They're playing. So there's a lot for schools to evaluate. I think you know, I spoke about this yesterday with the, with the coach and we're used to right now, you know, Hey, who's coming to campus to watch spring practice and let's track them down and see how things went on the visit. You do not have that virtual visits while it's a nice way to do things and kind of keep the kids semi-engaged. These kids can see the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of getting on campuses in June for officials if they happen on officials. And I have my own thoughts on whether we're actually going to see officials. Um, but, you know, so, so the kids are in holding patterns to make a decision. I mean, you, you look at, you know, we'll use Penn State as an example since, you know, it's a Penn State podcast, but it's going on all over the country where schools are scheduling official visits. Hey, let's get these kids on campus. A, cause we can't, we think we can, we, we don't know yet. B, if we get that official visit set, yes, we're in the mix with him. And also there's a good chance he's not going to decide off of a self-guided tour somewhere else because that visit is, is kind of dangling in front of him. Um, and then the other thing, when you're not looking at a lot of commitments and you're right, you are not kids are waiting to see what happens to maybe get out and see some of these schools, because unlike the 21 class where some of those kids were able to make visits, you know, during their sophomore years, these kids haven't been on campuses for regular visits since what freshman year for the most part to where they really were able to sit down and, and look and enjoy things. And, but most of them weren't even recruits then. Um, and then they, so they want to get out. So they don't want to rush to a decision while on the flip side schools continue to squeeze. And then the other factor is where are we at, at scholarships, you know, once the 22 season starts, we all know with 21 and in the fall that, Everybody last year had a scholarship rolled over, so there's no issue there. But if we go back to 85 and 22, well, you're going to see a lot of schools taking 12 to 15 kids in a class because they're just not going to have the room. And so the filter down effect is there's going to be some really good 22s going to group of five schools and the 
you know, maybe to one double A's. And the other part is schools aren't pushing because they don't really know how they're going to fill up the recruiting class. Yeah, and we saw at the end of the last cycle, it was not only that, but it was also the portal. You're leaving yourself some some wiggle room there to bring in some more established players uh, that can help you probably right away more so than a, than a, taking a flyer on a guy late in the cycle. So that's really uh, so many dynamics at play. Penn State, where they sit with you know a good number of 2022 commits on hand, um, they, they also seem to be proactive in setting up these official visits and we'll get to the the other one point that you that really stood out what you said uh in a second but uh Penn State seems to have taken the approach where we want to get you here we want to have that first impression because we think that first impression given the last year given what you've gone through is going to be so profound that it might lead you to a decision especially if they block off July and say okay you can visit for this month but then you know you're going to have to take another month off yeah, I mean, there's so many factors involved with it. Um, you know, listen, I may have said this once or 6,000 times, but Penn State's biggest recruiting tool is getting kids on campus. Um, great place, great community. Um, you know, the, the campus, when you just walk around, it just it just oozes enthusiasm. Um, and the coaches are at their best when they have a live audience with the kids and their parents. and I mean, shoot, Fitz, we, we talk enough to know on Zooms and calls to, you know, we may not always listen all the time if we're not in person, but when you're there in person, it's different. And so, so many things work in Penn State's favor. I mean, shoot, how many times did we talk about, hey, this kid's coming to campus. He's got to be on commit watch because he's coming to campus because you just know that feeling that they're going to get while they're there. Um, so, yeah, what are they going to have to jam it in all into June? Are they going to have to put camps on, you know, some some invite only or, you know, elite camps or however they're going to phrase it? Since camps aren't supposed to be invite, they're probably going to have to make a change with that. And do you have to jam it into June? Because let's be honest, coaches at some point need a vacation. So that's usually July. And you get to training camp in late July. Well, the last thing you need is some 2023 coming to campus, checking things out and being around people. And now four or five of your coaches are shut down or a couple kids are shut down because they were on campus and now it's a close contact. Um, so I, I don't think if they're going to put the, you know, and I don't know, I'm not smart enough to know how the vaccines and all that will factor into it. Are kids going to have to get vaccines to make official visits? I, I, I don't know any of that stuff, but I, I do know there's a lot of uncertainty about what's going to happen with the calendar. And do coaches want to be dealing with, Hey, this kid, may have been a close contact and you know part of the reason you come to campus to check things out is you get to sit in the linebacker room and watch linebacker film and talk to Brent Pry about linebackers or whatever position room you're going into and there's a lot of stuff that's still going to have to get worked out in June even if there's a close contact you can always kind of uh there's plenty of time but you start getting into July you're cutting into practice time how hard would the sell be and and how how will this go over? Do you think you said coaches want to have their vacations in July? The perception right now is, okay, you, you haven't hosted visitors, so you haven't done anything for the last year or so. <laughs> how hard do you think that that's going to be to convince fans that, hey, these guys, you know, could use some family time. They want to get unwound before the season, um, which you, you mentioned at the end of July, you're right back into it full bore and then it doesn't stop until, you know, the end of the bowl game. How, how hard of a sell do you think that's going to be? Listen, if you are sitting there thinking that these coaches haven't been working because it's all been zoom and everything, you are nuts. 
they're probably working harder now than when kids could visit campus. Because when a kid visits campus and he finishes his visit at seven o'clock, you usually meet as a staff real quick, see how it went, and you go home and it's eight o'clock. I mean, you're doing WebExes, Zooms, whatever you want to call it with those things. And, you know, instead of leaving campus at eight, well, you still may leave campus after your meetings, but you're going home. And don't forget, there weren't really WebExes and stuff going on before COVID hit. So, you know, Penn State, who's recruiting nationally, well, shoot, man, it could be 11 o'clock, jump on one of those Zoom calls with somebody on the West Coast where it's 8 o'clock. These coaches have to, you know, they're, they're on all the time. And because you can't go out in the spring and do your evaluations as a staff that you normally do, you know, and checking out schools to where you have downtime at night, I mean, you're probably working harder. You have less contact and these coaches thrive for the most part the good recruiters at least they thrive off of the interactions with kids and high school coaches and trainers and whomever and all of a sudden you know you're working now you know six in the morning or seven in the morning until 10 11 at night a lot of times and so they may need vacations now more than ever yeah I mean that's it's such it's such a funny dynamic though because it's going to be a hard sell. You're going to see, you're going to say, well, you haven't hosted visitors. And now you're going to throw away an attempt to do so. It's just a, a funny thing to go back on. Speaking of going back on, you mentioned this earlier, and this is a conversation you have, you and I have had over the last week several times is we're talking about the potential for official visits. And in, in my mind, when I entered this conversation with you, I had thought about, okay, well, you can control official visits. So if you're dumping something, you're going to dump camps, you're going to dump unofficials, things like that. You're going to keep the official visits. You turned it back on me and said, okay, well, here's the thing. Official visits might be first on the chopping block because of all that control, because the school is on the hook so much. So I'm just curious your point of view on how this could happen in a sense that we might see unofficials, we might see camps, but we may also not see official visits. Yeah, I think it's something that I've spoken with a lot of people about. And a lot of the people I speak with are kind of 50-50 on whether these officials are going to take place. And it's, it's a real simple reason why. When you make an unofficial, when you come to a camp, which is an unofficial visit, you're in charge, you know, you as a prospect and your family are in charge of the travel, your food, and if you're staying overnight, you're in charge of that. So it's your responsibility. If you're doing official visits, the official visit starts, it starts when you get on that plane or you get in that car to drive if it's close enough because you can get mileage and all that other stuff. So now the school is responsible for that. The school is responsible for your lodging. The school is responsible for your meals. The school is responsible for whatever entertainment you are going to do, which usually used to be go out to parties or whatever you do on campus. The school's all responsible for that. So now what happens to a kid who comes on campus maybe test positive after leaving. Maybe they have an issue with the hotel they were staying at and a family member tests positive about it. And, you know, we all know it affects some people have it. They don't even know it. Other people have it. And, you know, it, it ends in the worst possible way. And so I'm curious what the liability aspect is of it. Now, look, my kids play youth sports and all that, and you have to sign waivers for them to play on travel teams and, and all that stuff. And even on the high school team. So I, I get all that, but I also know that um, I wouldn't just stake my, you know, stake my claim to, Hey, he signed a waiver. So everything's clear. 
Um, and so when you're looking at official visits, the school is responsible for those, you know, whatever it is up to 48 hours for everything that goes on. So if there's an outbreak at the hotel, I mean, whose responsibility is that if, if somebody in your traveling party catches that or, or gets it from there? So, you know, when you do it with the unofficials, you have a lot less responsibility as a school. Yeah, I, 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 and you sort of converted me on that one because I, I was going the other way and then you, you laid out some points and kind of made sense. Now, speaking of those officials, whether they happen or not, we're going to talk about them as if they're happening. Uh, very important. As well, we Penn should. State. Yeah, I, I mean, we should because right now that's the idea. Yeah, and I think we're going to find out in the next probably week, week and a half. But uh, it, it's one of those situations where Penn State has been proactive. They, they want to get these guys to campus. And you think that's the right uh, the right way to approach this? Without question, because, you know, again, you, getting kids to campus is what Penn State, um, it's where they're at their best, right? Um, unless it's the whiteout game, let's be honest, right? Because you know what that atmosphere is like. So if you can just get them on campus for an official visit, they can shine. And with all these schools scheduling them, they're trying to force the NCAA's hand. Hey, we already have these done. NCAA hasn't said anything, hasn't said they're extending it. So we're operating like they're going to happen. Um, they they need to get these kids on campus. I can only imagine what James Franklin is like not being able to have an audience of prospects to speak with because he's so good in that environment. And it's so good for you know some of these coaches, you know Anthony Poindexter, being able to sit there and talk to kids and explain, hey, here's how we want to do it. You know, just go down the list. Um, so for me, you have to get these kids on campus. You have to make sure they know, hey, man, we are really interested in you. We need you here. Um, and so, it, you know, if a kid like, I don't know, pick whoever you want to pick. Um, if Keon Wiley wants to decide in May, and now all of a sudden he's got this official visit to Penn State set for, I think he's June 11th. I can't remember if he's the fourth or the eleventh, but uh, he's like, all right. I'm waiting until then, and you know, because he's visiting Pitt too, and so it allows you to extend the recruitment in a natural way, um, and it and it allows kids to go and see it. But for, if I'm Penn State, man, I've had a year and a half almost to really make sure that campus is humming and looks beautiful and everything's in place. Um, you know, it's almost like they've been practicing for. I'll go a little culture here, a Broadway play for a year and a half. And then finally, there's an audience that they can perform in front of. And, and I think that's what you're getting with Penn State. I, I would imagine the first day they have visitors on campus, James Franklin will be up at about 2.30 a.m. That sounds about right. Um, it, the, the first weekend, they're bringing in Ryan Brubaker, uh, legacy offensive lineman. Uh, the, 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 the second weekend of June seems to be the big one right now. Um, of course, you could probably say that about the third weekend, too. Um, but you've got Deny Dennis Sutton. You've got Nicholas Singleton, uh, a guy that you're, you're familiar with in Jersey, Jaden Gold. So uh, it's just a lot of things. Uh, Caleb Artis, who you just reported on last week, is going to come there, too. Uh, a lot of potential in this class to eh, maybe see some movement, maybe not right away, but but maybe get yourself in position for the rest of June and into the summer uh, to put yourself up with some, some of those top prospects. Yeah, without question. I mean, you know, tonight Dennis Sutton, the defensive end out of Maryland, who's a top hundred kid, he already loves Penn State from McDonough, so there's that pipeline. But Penn State could wrap that thing up by getting him on campus. I know he's got some other visits, you know, the week before is SC, and then after that is Bama and Georgia. But, you know, I still feel good about my pick there. And I, I could see them wrapping that up 
you know, Brubaker, I think he wants to make some other visits as well. But if he gets there and Penn State, try, you know, wants to close on him there, I, I could see that happening. Caleb Artis, it's close enough for him to where he could be like, you know what, I'm kind of done with this whole recruiting thing. Um, you know, and Jaden Gould, I think that one's going to go on a little bit longer regardless, just because he's a, a Rutgers legacy, lives 10 minutes from campus and Michigan's on him. But yeah, I mean, this is what you need. I mean, I keep saying the same thing now on this that I've said for the past 15 months and the same thing you've said. I think you've been asked in the chat once or twice about, you know, what's missing with Penn State. They need kids on campus. And that's important. And so, boy, you look at it and you're, you're just excited for these kids to get there and see it. And so, so they have that fresh, vivid picture in their mind. Because like I've said, I've been to a lot of campuses across this country and a lot of places. And there's a reason that Penn State can recruit at such a high level because of the atmosphere there, the campus, the community. And now you have a coach who can, who can close. He just, you know, it's just, it's a lot harder to close on the phone and on zoom than it is in person. And it doesn't hurt that June weather and in, in state college is a little bit better than bringing these guys in, in December. So that, that could certainly help with that. Uh, well, unless, one, hey, hey, unless you're, unless you're, uh, you know, in a big 10 championship game or coming off of a big 10 championship game, December is great. Yeah, that helps too. That helps too. Uh, one guy I want to highlight from that weekend, Kevin Winston from DeMatha. Uh, this is a kid that uh, I'm very high on. You and I have had a bunch of conversations about him because I think uh, as of a couple months ago, he was 5'11 in our database. And then we come to find out he's 6'2", 6'3". And that changes things a little bit. And when you get his athletic profile out there, um, he's one of those guys that we've been keeping an eye on throughout the the pandemic. He finally got a chance to play uh, a couple of games, whether they're the considered exhibition or real games, doesn't matter. He got some game on uh, on tape and, and we got a chance to look at it. We bumped him on 24-7 sports this week to, uh, to an 88, which is a high three star, is a guy we're wa- we're watching that could have four star potential. But what what do you think about Kevin Winston? Yeah, I mean, first of all, these games count because they're playing. You know, when Demath is playing, it matters. And these aren't exhibitions because they're going to count them in the records on whether you beat St. John's or Gonzaga, and so they matter. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was a kid that look, you, you've been you've been on him for a while. You've liked him for a longer time. It took me a little bit longer to come around and. You know, I was able to talk to the staff at DeMatha. They're telling me he's legit 6'2", you know, getting towards 6'3". Put him to an 88. And look, I could have easily gone to the committee and said, hey, we need to take a look at this kid as four stars. And just to peel back the curtain a little, the reason I didn't is, look, there's there's a Under Armour camp down in Baltimore. I think it's May 2nd. There's a bunch of camps in June. Let's take our time. Let's see what happens with things. And... This way I can get hopefully a live eval on him. Maybe I go out to the school because their games are being played in Northern Virginia right now because of some regulations down in Maryland and D.C. But I like him. I like his size. I like the way he plays downhill. Um, he shows that he has the speed to cover as a safety. My big question is, you know, we make him an 88, which, again, if people think an 88 three-star isn't a good player, man, we need to rethink how we rank kids then because that's a really good player. Um, does he grow into a linebacker? Let me see his frame because you can go back. Fitz, remember that uh, Under Armour camp where we saw Curtis Jacobs as a receiver, I believe it was, and you were like, hey, this Jacobs kid can catch the ball. And now what is he, like a 230-pound linebacker at Penn State? Um, so for me, you know, 
let's get a let's get some real eyeballs on Winston and and just see what he's going to be at the next level um, as his body matures. But I, I know this, I I know he's going to be really good at the next level. I know his pro, I know he's a a really high level prospect. But you know, I say it all the time, and I tell kids this, and I think. At first, they don't appreciate it, but as we go through the process with them, I think they do. I would rather make you an 85 and underrank you and then pump you up higher at the end to maybe a 90 than rank you as a 90 and have to drop you to an 89. So that's that's kind of like my philosophy, and I've taken it one step further in the 22 class because we have not been able to get out and see these kids in person like we usually do. Elite 11 coming up at the end of April in Philly. You mentioned that Under Armour camp in uh, early May down in Baltimore. So, you know, some sort of normal scene to get out and see some of these guys. Uh, that's third weekend in June, the eight, the weekend of the 18th. Some other guys coming in, especially uh, from all over the country. A couple guys from Texas and uh, Louisiana, Cal- oh, excuse me, Oregon. Darius Clemens coming in from Oregon, but some local guys as well. Uh, Anto Saka suddenly seems like a guy that's, you know, a pretty big priority, especially given how Penn State's recruited defensive end over the last uh, couple of cycles. Um, you know, it's another big priority. We talked about Deny Dennis Sutton as well. Um, uh, but Saka seems like a guy that's that's risen up the board steadily in the last uh, month and a half and seems like a guy that really fits what Penn State wants to do. Yeah, he does. And, you know, what I said about Winston in terms of his ranking, just everybody rewind it and listen and just put in Saka instead of Winston. And you'll hear a lot of the same stuff. He's a kid who he benefited from a few games in the fall, right? There weren't a lot of them, but Loyola Blakefield down in Baltimore, he played or Towson, whatever whatever their location is. Um, every time I see him, they're in Baltimore. So, um, but he's a, he's a kid who had a, you know, he put on tape a few good games and all of a sudden you could see some momentum building. I know he's got the Penn state official. He just set a Michigan official visit. Oregon just extended an offer. You know, he's long, he's athletic. He's big on academics. The academics, um, will play a huge role. His quarterback went to Duke in the 21 class. And until the Penn States and the Michigans and schools like that got involved, I thought he would be, uh, you know, a, a Duke Bandy Wake kind of kid. But you get a little more information on him. You know, not only does he have some good tape from from Loyola Blakefield, but he's got some good workout tape that has made the rounds now too. Um, so you want to go see his measurements. You just want to see how he moves. And I'm not really into rushing to make his. You know, everybody's like, ah. Uh, you bumped him up because he went to this school or that school. Well, no, I mean, we bumped him up because we were patient with it and we just wanted to get some live eyes on him. And so he's a kid that I would expect um, by the end of the summer, I, I could see him pushing for the top two, four, seven, as long as his length and everything checks out. But uh, good job by Penn state to really get in quickly with him and get that official visit set. And again, you know, we talked about it before, get him on campus, let him see what it's like there. They'll do a great job with them. The academics will, his family will love it. His parents will love it. And the, you know, what can you do for me after you graduate? And we know what Penn State's alumni network is like. He will love that too. Um, Penn State will be right in the mix with this kid until the end. Yeah, Michigan and Northwestern, the other officials for him in June. And that's a that's a company that Penn State's been in before and they won some battles in in that situation. Um, hey, listen, you know, they, they got they gotta they gotta win. If if that's what the battle is gonna be, they need to win that battle with the Baltimore kid. 
I agree. I agree. Uh, you got some live eyes in Philly on Keon Wiley, who's also visiting that weekend. Um, just one of those guys that you know, we also bumped on 24-7 Sports this week. But throughout this whole process, you're like, okay, the film looks good. Is he 6'1"? Is he 6'3"? Is he is he a D-end? Is he a linebacker? Is he this or that? Um, the kid can play. I think you came away probably more impressed when you went to see Imhotep uh, last, uh, I guess, last month um, with Wiley more than anybody. So what, what's he bring to the table and what, what do you think Penn state's looking for there? Because he doesn't seem like a guy that they're ready to jump on and, and go all in right now, but what, what can he do to earn that spot? Measure, measure to what they need him to measure into. Um, so I was with him in, I want to say mid September down at his school. I went to a workout. I'm just about six, three. And he wasn't just about my height at that point, put it that way. And so it was, his size was always a concern. Um, How big was his frame? Could he carry 230 pounds? Um, Those were all concerns, but you knew that he was explosive and athletic. Fast forward to when I went to see him a few weeks ago and he grew, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, uh, just about 6'3". I was wearing my Crocs, so I was at least 6'3". And we were eye to eye. And so I didn't have a tape measure, but I'm not an idiot. If we're eye to eye, that means he's close to 6'3", whether he's 6'2 and a half or 6'3 and a quarter. He's, he's close enough. He's long. His frame looks good. It looks like he can still easily add 30 pounds. Um, I don't remember how tall Shaka Tony was coming out of high school. I, I really don't. Um, I kind of, I want to say he was kind of the same thing. Um, very similar bodies. I think Keon is probably a little more physically developed from a muscle standpoint now as a junior than Shaka was. Um, but his, listen, I'm not going to say him offensive line had a great night in the scrimmage, but the kid was unblockable. I mean, he, he and you know, when you, I know people throw that term around and it's, you know, take it for what it's worth. It's a scrimmage against kids he knows. But you're looking at burst, closing speed, change of direction. I mean, he's able to, able to redirect at the line. He chased down plays. He was really, really athletic. And eventually they're just like, hey, just go play tight ends because we can't even run anything. You know, and he was going against Imhotep's ones. And he's like, we can't even run anything with him on the field because he's in the backfield every play. And it, I came away impressed. And he's a nice kid. He's very, um, he, he's aware of what goes on with rankings, what people say with size. But he, he's great. He, he's like your typical Philly kid. And that's why I love Philly. They never hold anything against you. If you don't rank them where they want, they're like, well, I wish you would have ranked me higher and I'll, I'll show you. But yeah, well, whatever you need, let me know. They, they're really good kids to deal with. And so he went from 85 to 88. And for me, I just want to get like the true measurements on him. Hopefully he does the Under Armour or, or some camp where we can get some, some real measurements on him. And, you know, I, I definitely think he's a four-star candidate. Do you think, and speaking of the Shaka comparison, two questions here, can he play linebacker at this level? And do you think he owns a fur coat? Well, now let me address the second one first. I do not believe that if I remember right, I do not believe that was Shaka's fur coat. I believe he borrowed it from somebody just for the interview, if my memory serves right. Now, I'm old. I could have forgotten. 
and I could remember it incorrectly, but I believe I was about to shoot the video and he grabbed the fur coat. So I don't know if Shaka owns one. Second, I think he can play linebacker. And listen, he let me let me let me make sure people understand this. He is not Micah Parsons, but he has a similar body build, at least what Micah was as a junior. Micah was probably a little thicker at the time. But when I look at Keon Wiley, I, I actually think he's more outside linebacker than he is defensive end right now. And I think his body type, I'm not, I don't know if he can get to 250, but I know he can get to 235. So for me, I, I actually, I've started calling him a hybrid and everything because, you know, whether you're going to be a, a edge rusher or an outside linebacker, you know, I think he's a kid that is going to drop into coverage and is going to have to do that stuff. And athletically, from what I've seen, I, I think he can do it. Don't, I think that'll be about it for our conversation here. I'm sure we're going to talk over the next couple of uh, weeks, uh, probably what, six weeks heading up to, to June till we can get into these official visits, get into the next phase of this recruiting cycle. Cause it feels like it's been going on for a while, but really hasn't, but uh, we'll also meet up with you down at uh, maybe, maybe down at elite 11, maybe down at under armor. If I make those trips, you you're well-versed on, on my travel situation. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess that's probably about it. Any last parting shots you want to get in? I know I just set you up pretty well, but uh, thanks for coming on. Any, any last thing, any last words from you? Hey, all I know is June has four the opening camps kind of on the East Coast. So I want you to enjoy your vacation each of those weekends. I appreciate it. All right, Don, thanks. And we'll, we'll catch you next time. <laughs> thanks. That'll do it for us here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. For Brian Doan, Tyler Donahue, I'm Sean Fitz. Thanks for joining us. Uh, hope you enjoy your weekend. Remember, check us out on Apple Podcasts. Leave your questions. We're running short on five-star mailbag questions. Leave your questions, your five-star reviews, and I guess we'll see you around the site. Thanks for joining us this week on the Lions 24-7 podcast.